by now. You should be over it by now. I mean, it's been it's been days, it's been it's been weeks, it's been months, it's been it's been years. Like you should be over this by now. You ever heard that? You ever told yourself that in the midst of loss? Maybe just recently, I know for me, uh, yesterday was the five-year anniversary of losing a really good friend of mine, the former production director of our church, the, the person who helped us start the church. His name was Chris Laurent, who I talked to every single week. I talked to him more than any other person in our church. He died tragically, suddenly, at the age of 37, heart attack, several years ago in the midst of our church, a Saturday night, right before a Sunday morning service. In fact, I didn't get home till 4 a.m., just spending time with the family. And then we had put together this service, and we just thanked God for Chris and, and tried to, to mourn his loss. And, and that was five years ago yesterday. And I didn't plan this sermon because of that. It just, just happened, right? And so I'm kind of even wrestling with this right now. And sometimes I'm like, I'm getting up here to talk about it. And I'm like, I still get kind of emotional about that. And I tell myself, like, you should be over this by now wrong with you. Be strong. You're a pastor. These people need hope. They don't need a guy up here who's wrestling with his emotions. He's telling you what happened in my brain this morning, okay? It's a safe space. And I think a lot of us, this is what we do in the midst of loss and even in the midst of the holidays around loss. Like, no, Tim, it's supposed to be Christmas gifts and it's Thanksgiving, Tim. Like, it's Thanksgiving week and you're talking about grief? And the reality is, if you've lived a little bit of life, and if you've experienced a little bit of loss, what you know is the sights and sounds of Thanksgiving and Christmas and the holidays that are so festive and so fun are also ways that we are uniquely experiencing a turned up volume of grief. As you sit down at the Thanksgiving table and there's a seat there, but that person is not there. And you're reminded, man, she would always bring that, like that corn casserole. It's a true story in my life. And I, oh man, she would always bring that. And he would always say this. And we would always, we'd go out in the street and play a flag football game. And it was so fun. And, and they're not here this Thanksgiving. Or, or that song comes on. And then that was always your special song with your spouse or with your, your kid that would come on and would bring so much joy, but but they're not, they're not here right now. And the reality is, is we, we do a whole series on relationships, lies about love, a reality, a truth about relationships is that all of us will experience loss. I heard it said this way, we're all one phone call away from dropping to our knees. Getting that phone call of, hey, it's, it's your dad. Or hey, it's, it's your daughter. Or hey, it's a miscarriage. Or maybe for some of us, you don't get the phone call because that dad or that friend or that church member stopped talking to you three years ago in the midst of the pandemic or years before that. And there's loss. That's so We do a series on relationships. We have to talk about how do we navigate loss in the midst of relationships. And I think one of the lies that prevents us from navigating loss in a biblical way, in a helpful way, one of the lies is this lie of you should be over it by now. And so we're going to do what we've done in this entire series. We're going to kind of expose that lie, and we're going to hopefully discover the truth from God's word and see how to help us navigate loss in a healthy way, in a biblical 
way, especially as we enter into this holiday season. So we're going to head to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. So I would encourage you, grab a Bible. If you don't have one, there should be one in the row back in front of you. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Uh, We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. This is Solomon, the wisest and wealthiest man in the Bible. Uh, He experienced loss. He's going to teach us some things about loss. The Holy Spirit through him is going to do that. I am really going to try to give you some biblical, some practical, helpful tools to navigate this in your real life, in your relationships. And so we're going to jump in together. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says this, A good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. If you take notes in your bulletin, you can write this first point down. It is this. It is grief is good. Grief is good. I almost wrote good grief. But I thought that was cheesy, right? I think that's a little cheesy. So grief is good. You can write it down however you want. As I looked at definitions of grief, here's the most kind of like uh, synonymous common one I I came up with. Uh, The natural response to loss or pain. And that, that word natural just kind of hit me. And, and as you, know, as you look at the Bible, as we're going to dig into what Solomon says about, about grief, I think natural is this, this way that we try to normalize grief. Like, hey, it's not bad, it's, it's natural. But as I thought about that, I thought, I don't know if that's, that's strong enough, because there's a lot of things that are natural that are not good. Like kale. It's natural, but it's horrible. Amen. I mean, some of y'all like it. Okay, fine, do your thing. Um, but it's, it's not good. And, and so as we look at Scripture, as we look at Solomon, the wisest man in the whole Bible, what does he say about grief? Does he say it's natural or does he say it's good? Let, let's look at it together. You'll notice, if you look at the text, several greater than statements. You see that a good name is greater than precious ointment. The day of death is greater than the day of birth. The house of mourning is greater than a house of feasting. Sorrow is greater than laughter. It seems like to me, I don't know how you read that, that Solomon is saying grief is not just natural, but it is, is good. And I think some of us, when we read stuff like this and we look intently at the text, we, we start to wonder like about this wisest man in the whole Bible thing. Because I, I, I don't know about you, like I would much rather watch Jim Gaffigan than The Notebook, you know? I would much rather laugh than cry. I would rather go to a wedding than go to a funeral. And so why does Solomon, is he wise? Why why does he say that grief is is good? Well, let's look at it together. In verse two, he says, for this, the day of death, is the end of all mankind. The mortality rate is 100%. So he says, we should lay it to heart. He's saying loss is a part of life. So it's actually good to address it. Verse four, it makes you wise to experience grief, to address loss. Why? Because it puts you in tune with all of reality. You see, if you never come to grips with grief, if you never address loss, you're living a naive and ignorant life. You cannot be wise in life if you don't know how to navigate loss. 
because it's coming for all of us, right? And so he says it makes you wise. Psalm 34, 18, it says that the Lord is close or near to the, to the brokenhearted, to the people who are grieving, that that's when the God of the universe, he comes near, he comes close. You experience his presence in the midst of loss. Matthew 5, the greatest sermon ever. Jesus gives us the blessed life or the happy life or the good life. And one of the first things he says is, blessed are those who mourn. Why, Jesus? Well, because they will be comforted. You see, grief isn't just natural. Grief is good because God is in the grief. And because God is in the grief, listen, there's grief in the midst, there's good in the midst of grief not just when it's removed. If God is in the grief, then there's good in the grief, not just when we're able to move past it. this This is important. It's essential to the Christian life. It's essential to a person who believes the Bible. And and what's so important about it is, again, there's so many lies that would contradict that. This is so counter to everything in our culture. Some of you who are new are like, this is a weird church. Like, what? I, I, I would rather watch Jim Gaffin. Can we, can we go do that now, Tim? Can we go watch the comedy show now? Like, I just, I don't want to think about this. I want to think about Santa Claus. I want to think about gifts. Like, I want to think about the turkey and the trip to fan. Like, this does not seem fun. And yet this is reality. See, here's what I love about the Bible is it doesn't skirt reality. It enters us into reality. The Bible is relevant. If, you, if you've never read the Bible, man, you should absolutely go read it. Read Ecclesiastes and see how it gets into the grit and the grime of, of life. That we have to understand that, that grief is good. And it's not just when we get out of it, we get over it, that it is good. As I read this week and Googled articles on grief, most of them had the subject line, the topic, the title that said this, how to overcome grief. How to go around grief, how to hop over grief, right? Most of our sayings are like, hey, just try not to think about it. Hey, you'll just get over it. And we're just trying to get around it. And here's, here's what we miss out in that. We miss out the, the healing and the learning that comes with the grieving. That's the way God set it up. And so that's why Solomon says, fools try to hop over the grief in verse 4. They just try to go to the house of mirth. They just try to put put a smile on it, perfume it up a little bit. And let's just get over this instead of go through it. And we miss out on the healing and the learning and the refining that comes in the grief that as God is in the grief. And so that's our, our second point is that you don't get over grief. You go through grief. I just wrote down, grief isn't a feeling to get over. It's an emotion to process, to go through. Uh, some of you know that the stages of grief, right? You got denial, you got anger, you got regret, you got depression, you got acceptance. And some of us who are maybe type A or, or just uncomfortable with emotions or, or, or whatever, you're a guy in here or you're a girl, however you were raised and however your parents process loss or didn't process loss, you even look at those stages of grief and you, you see it as like a linear uh, deal, like clockwork. Like, so I'm going to go through denial, check, 
anger, I did that one. Check, regret, uh, experience that right now. Uh, Depression, okay, that'll be hard, but I'll get through it. And then acceptance, and then I'll be over it. Check, 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 check. And then I'll be done, and then it'll be good. Some of you know this. You're like this, right? You're like, everything in my life is like that, so grief is like that. I was talking to somebody the other day. She's navigating a hardship in her life. And she said, Tim, I don't want to be like this. But just to be honest with you, my personality, what I told the doctor is just like, I don't have time for this. I got stuff to do. And how how many of you know that? Like, I'm a three on the Enneagram. I'm an achiever. I like to get stuff done. And so I can make this stages of grief like a checklist just to get through, just to get over. And yet, as you talk to counselors, as you read books about grief, as you read the Bible, grief isn't just something to, to get over and to check off a list. In fact, there's no timeline to grief. Uh, the best way I've heard it described is this, is it's like you have a, if you've experienced loss in your relationships, it's like you have a weight on your shoulders that you're carrying. And all of us, man, we want to do anything we can to just get that weight off, right? And, and the reality is the weight never leaves. Now, if you can process through the grief in a healthy way, the the weight maybe doesn't even get lighter, but you get stronger. And as you carry that grief and for years to come, you're able to carry it in a healthy way. As you have other people, the people of God come over and carry it with you. As you start to realize that Christ carries your burdens, you can cast them all upon him and that you become stronger, even if it does, does, does not become lighter. But we have to process it. And again, the reality in our culture is that, that everything about it teaches us how to suppress grief, not express grief. Uh, I, I'm a pastor who's been a part of a lot of funerals. And, and man, just in the U.S., like I think maybe other cultures might be different, but in the U.S., kind of like we, we do funerals a certain way. Like we, we try to make them fast. I don't think we intentionally go about it that way, but it's just kind of the way we, we do them. Like, as I've led funerals, like the person who's doing the obituary, like, don't take too long. Like, how many people should we let share? It can't just be a free-for-all. Let's just ask one to two people. Hey, the, the pastor's doing the sermon, like, hey, when are you gonna be done? Because <laughs> we gotta go over here to the cemetery. And, and at the cemetery, it's, it, we live in Phoenix, it's hot there. We don't wanna keep people waiting out there too long. I mean, you got that green tent. That's not very helpful, and, and, then, and then we're going to go to the other person's house, and uh, we have a map for you to get there as quick as possible. In fact, we have a cop that's going to lead us there as quick as possible. And if you go, like, if somebody squeezes in, like, we shame them. And um, we have this procession, and we got this way to just, like, go from this to this to this to this that ends in potato salad. And then we go home. We, we did the memorial. And we, sh- we should be done, Right? We remembered, we celebrated the life. Check it off the list. And here's what all of us know, is that's insufficient. That's not really expressing our grief. And so what many of us do is we try to suppress our grief. Looks different for all of us. Some of us just detach. We just isolate. We just hide. And if you've lost somebody, you may have experienced this. There's people around you trying to reach out. Hey, how you doing? And you just ghost them. Or my favorite, you don't ghost them. You tell them, hey, I'm, I'm just really busy right now as I sleep <laughs> or do the dishes. 
and you just detach. And you think, if I can just ignore it, if I can just isolate, it will eventually go away. Some of us, we don't do that. Again, some of us, we're determined. We think, I'm strong. I got a lot to do. And, and I already had a lot to do, but I'm going to add some things to that list now. And I'm going to get even more stuff done. And when you're out in your backyard and you're doing more stuff and, and you, start to, you start to feel this emotion like anger because of your loss, and you feel that emotion like it could drift into sadness, you just stick with the anger and maybe you throw something. Or maybe you think, I'm going to get more done. I'm going to show everybody else I, I am strong. I can overcome this. I don't, I don't have to be one of those weak people who just gets all teary-eyed all the time and sees a counselor. Like, that's for other people. I'm fine. And you're just determined as you suppress your grief, not, to, not express it. Some of us, it's not determined. It's not detaching. It is deadening or numbing. That's when you you lose somebody and you have the fast funeral and, and you still feel that pain and that sadness and that confusion. And so you grab the alcohol. And maybe you drank in moderation before, maybe it was fine, but if you're honest right now in this season, you're drinking to deaden the pain and numb the pain. You go after sex or another substance and you just try to, try to disappear in the midst of that and it makes you feel good physically but the reality is mentally and emotionally the next day, it makes it even worse. And so you need more to numb. You need a greater amount to numb. And the reality is in our culture, many of us have never seen or been taught how to express our grief. And so we only know how to suppress it. And that's why God is so good to give us the Bible. I just wrote down a few examples of people processing their grief in the Bible, but it's all over the place. Uh, the first person I, I, think, I think of, and maybe you think of, is Job. Right? Do you know Job in the Old Testament? You know, like when you start your Bible uh, reading plan in the year, and then you like skip parts of Job? Because it's very sad, right? Well, like Job was this uh, like strong man. Men, you need to hear. Job was like Jeff Bezos and Billy Graham combined. If you read chapter one of Job, it's like he was this fearless man, blameless man, following after God. But he also had 10 kids and thousands of camels and donkeys. And you're like, ah, that doesn't seem attractive to me. But in that day, it was. In that day, Job was a person of prominence, of wealth, of amazing provision in his life. But he was also a spiritual man. He was like Bezos and Billy Graham. And yet in one day, everything got taken away from Job. Now, how, how, if you read the book of Job, like how does Job respond to that? Lamenting. Job is 42 chapters long. 35 chapters are lamenting, wailing, even complaining. That's this upright man, like Billy Graham and Jeff Bezos did that and wrote it down for the whole world to see in next, in next thousands of years for us to read it. He expressed it. He didn't suppress it. If you look at Habakkuk, we did a whole series on Habakkuk. One of the, the lines he uses often is, how long, O Lord? And Habakkuk was a prophet. He, he was supposed to tell everybody else how, how to relate to God. And he, he's asking his own questions to God. Go back and listen to that series. Ask God anything. And this whole book of him lamenting, of him grieving, of him expressing 
You see in the book of Psalms, the, the book of Psalms, right in the middle of our Bibles, 150 chapters, it, it's often called our, our worship manual as Christians, as churches. And in our worship manual, the, the book we're supposed to go to to see how we worship God, how we pray to God, it consists of like about half of the book is, is lament. Sometimes when I, I read through the Psalms with my kids, I wanna skip verses because they're speaking so angrily to God. And I don't want my kids to speak to me that way, much less to God that way. And so I'm like, hey, we'll just Psalm chapter nine. And they're old enough now where they call me on it. Like, no, there's still some verses, dad. That's our worship manual. It's like a lament, a grieving, expressing our grief manual. Jesus Christ. Isaiah gives Jesus a title, the man of sorrows. Isn't that interesting? The son of God, fully God, sovereign God who came onto the earth and could have lived his life in any way. He was all powerful. He was all sovereign. And yet he includes loss in his life. His best friend, Lazarus, dies. And what's crazy about that to me is again, Jesus is all sovereign. He's all knowing, he's all powerful. Jesus knew he's gonna raise Lazarus back from the dead. He's going to live. It's gonna be a party. And yet in the in-between, Jesus wept. Jesus weeps. Why does he even make that part of his story? I mean, that just rattles my brain. I think maybe it was to show us that we shouldn't suppress our grief. If the son of God expressed his grief, amen, we can express our grief. And some of us, I think we wonder like, is that okay? But God works all things together for good. I mean, somebody told me that at the funeral of my, of my spouse. And I would say, don't, don't do that. That's not the time. You can tell them that later, give them that verse later. But there is something about mourning with those who mourn. It's biblical. It makes up a lot of our Bibles. Like there's a whole book called Lamentations. It was written by Jeremiah. You know what Jeremiah's nickname was? the weeping prophet. And some of us, we experience loss in our lives and we just feel this pressure to come to church and put a smile on it. And everybody says, how you doing? Like it's been four weeks. We're like, yeah, it's, it's, it's basically good now. I'm basically, we're in a great place now. And what I need to do is just free some of y'all and just say, hey, read the Bible. It's okay to grieve. It's not just okay, it's good. And it's a process you need to go through, not jump over. That's where the healing is found. That's where the learning is found. God set it up that way for grief to be a gift. Now, how do we do that? I want to give you a few things because I know for some of us, you're like, Tim, no, I, I grieve lots of things and, and I do it with a glass of wine and Grey's Anatomy. Seems to be working for me. I don't know about you. <laughs> and that, that's not the healthy way to grieve. And that's not the way you're going to experience refining and learning and healing. But God does give us ways to do that. Uh, I just wrote down four, and you can write these down if you would like. Uh, as we grieve, as we go through the process, uh, we need to do that out loud with God and the word of God and also with the people of God. Out loud with God and the word of God and then lastly, the people of God. Out loud. Uh, here's the reality is, all of us do process grief. Many of us just do that in our head. 
And if you haven't learned anything else in this 11-part series called Lies About Love, we have some lies, amen, that we believe that are swimming around in our head. And so I, I went to a counselor earlier this year and was processing some of my loss and some of my grief. And, and he asked me, like, have you processed this before? And I said, well, yeah, you know, this, this, and this. And he's like, no, you've ruminated on that in your head. You haven't processed that. Because as you start to process that loss of that, that marriage, of that person who's still alive, who just doesn't talk to you, man, you tell yourself all these lies, you think about it all the time, but unless you do that out loud, you believe a lot of lies. You sink deeper into the, the loss in an unhealthy way. And many of us, we need to do that out loud with a counselor, maybe in your journal, start writing those things out. I know sometimes in my life, even as a pastor, that as I've experienced loss of relationships because people have left our church. And even as a pastor, like I'm also a person and that's, that's hard at times. Like the, I just, in certain seasons, I'm just like, man, everybody's left us and everybody leaves us and that we can't have friends in the church. It's just, if you're jacked up, it's okay. You're welcome here. This is your pastor feeling this, okay? And I'm just like, everybody, everybody. And then I start, like, I journal and I write down, like, specific, like, four people who left. There's, like, hundreds of people still here. It's not everybody. But in my head, if it stays in my head, I believe the lies. If I write it out, I see some truth. It's good to do it out loud. It's good to do it with God and the word of God, not Grey's Anatomy and a glass of wine. What you see about all these biblical writers is who are they talking to as they're grieving? God, the people of God, the words of God. They're anchoring in those things. You need that to guide you as you you grieve. You need to do it with the people of God. Some of you do need to meet with a counselor, a Christian biblical counselor who's going to take you to the truth of God's word. Some of you, you've been wrestling with lots of things in your life and you're angry all the time and you're anxious all the time. And as we do enter into this holiday season, all that volume does get turned up and it's causing a rift in your marriage. It's causing a rift with your kids, with your friends. And the reality is underneath all of that anger and that anxiety is a, a loss that you never grieved. It's just underneath. And you need some people, you have blind spots and they're called blind spots because you can't see them and you need other people. This is why the church is so essential and so beautiful is because we need other people to come into our lives and speak the truth in the midst of our lives and help us grieve. There's that, that saying that in the church, that if we do this biblically, that we cry a lot of tears in the midst of loss, but none of them end up on the floor because we're shoulder to shoulder with everybody around us and they don't have room to hit the floor. That's the imagery it should be. We're grieving together and we have the freedom to do that with the people of God. And we see that all across the Bible, mourn with those who mourn, Romans 12, Proverbs 11, in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. John 19, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he looks to John, he looks to his mother, Mary, and he says, hey, this is your mother, this is your child. Basically he's saying, hey, I'm dying, you're gonna grieve this, you need to do that together. You need to do that with one another. And I think the reality is many of us, like we wanna do that, 
but we just don't know how to do that. that that's why we're good intentioned as we say, hey, God works all things together for good. How are you doing now? You should get over it by now. Hey, just try not to think about it. Do something else. We just don't know how. And so many of us, we don't come alongside one another in our grief. And so I want to give you a few things. They're going to be on the screen. You can take a picture of this if it would be helpful for you. Here's how we help others through grief. The first thing is we're present. The, the one thing, Job's friends, don't they get a bad rap? And then they deserve it, okay? But yet earlier in the book of Job, you could almost miss it. There's seven days where Job's friends, they say nothing, right? which was a smart idea. They didn't put their foot in their mouth. They say nothing. And they're just the power of, of presence. Many times as other people are grieving around you, this is the best thing you can do. Hey, can I come and just sit with you? Hey, can I just be present with you? We're present. We're empathetic. We, we don't pretend that we are above pain. We feel the freedom to say like, hey, I don't know why this happened. Listen, as I've done funerals in some ways that don't make sense, like my friend Chris, who was 37 and left behind his wife and his two little kids, man, I didn't come and tie a neat bow on all that for them. I, I sat there with them. I cried with them. And I said, man, I don't have the words. But that was, that was powerful in their life. That can be powerful in your friend's life, in your life, as we're empathetic with people. That we would be uncomfortable. Many times, the reason why we can't help all the others grieve is it's just too uncomfortable for us. We don't like sitting that, in that uncomfortable-ness. We want to fix it for them. But many times, we just need to, be uncomfortable with them. And if they want to laugh about some memories, we do that with them. If they're not ready for that, but they just want to express some anger, we do that with them. And if it feels a little bit uncomfortable, we just sit in that with them. And that can be a gift to the people who are struggling with loss. We're ready to serve. We're ready to go get meals, clean the house, shop, babysit. And listen, you got to know who this person is because some people are never going to ask for this and you just got to do it for them. But if it's like somebody you don't know very well, like don't just go to their house and pick up their laundry, right? There's some wisdom and discernment that goes into this, but you are, the key is you are ready to serve when you are able to be prayerful, to actually pray for them and not just say you're praying for them, to send them a prayer, to pray for them, to be consistent is the last thing. The reality is this process is gonna repeat itself a lot for years to come and to be there for them. And that can be, powerful. This is in the grieving where the healing and the learning takes place with the people of God. Here's the last thing. Grief has limits and so do you. Now, I don't know about you, but I like grief having limits, but not so sure about me having limits, right? I like the idea that one day grief is going to be gone and it has limits, but I, I don't love the idea that, that I have limits. Like I, oftentimes in the midst of loss and pain, with my friend Chris, as a pastor, as an achiever, man, I just thought for, for a long time, I thought I should have done something. Like he, he was visiting like a, a web like doctor through video and, and talking about his arm hurting. And, and we, we did like in the production booth, we're like, dude, you need to go to an actual doctor. And I honestly, like after he passed away, I just thought I should have drove him. I should have kidnapped him. Like he was so stubborn, he didn't want to do it, but I should have just put him in the back of my car and taken him to the doctor. 
And I just thought, man, I should have been able to fix this. I, this is what I do. I'm a pastor. I'm a man. I fix things. And man, one of, one of the things I had to do, again, in counseling with community, people even in this church, is be reminded that I have limits. I couldn't fix it. Nobody could have. But I, I had to realize that. And listen, understanding you have limits is actually a gift. Do, do you know, like, the power is made perfect in your what? In your weakness. I can do all things through Christ. Like, I know like, many of our posters with that are like an athlete who's all yoked up. I can do all things through Christ. But Paul's actually saying, hey, I can be brought high. I can be brought low. I can do all things. I can go through loss. But how do I do it? Through Christ. Is he, Paul, the apostle Paul, as he understood his limits, he could experience God's grace in the midst of his grief. Second part of that is grief also does have, have limits. Second Corinthians 4, 17, this can become a memory verse for some of you right now who need some hope in your life in the midst of grief. Second Corinthians 4, verse 17 says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So that, that illustration of grief and loss being like this, this weight we are carrying around on our shoulders that ultimately never really goes away. We just get stronger and it becomes lighter as a result of that. And we can walk through life in a healthy way. Here's the biblical reality. If you know Jesus Christ, the one who died, but didn't stay dead, who rose again to defeat Satan, death and the grave. If you know that Jesus Christ, who is coming back again one day to, to take away all the tears, to take away all the pain and take away all the death. If you know that Jesus Christ, one day, that weight is lifted. One day, that grief is replaced with glory. Amen? That's why we sing that song, Amazing Grace, like we did on Wednesday night. Like when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll sing God's praises. That's why we sing the song, It is well with my soul. That a guy who wrote that lost his whole family and was able to say, in Christ, one day, it will be well. And so I can have peace and I can have contentment. That's what Solomon said. That's why Solomon says like mourning is better than feasting because if you actually experience sorrow and biblical grief, he says it makes your heart glad because you realize our future hope in Jesus Christ. And so that's, if you know Jesus, man, that's your reality. That's why we grieve, but we grieve with hope. That's why as I do think about my, my friend, Chris, man, I, I'm so sad and it's five years, but it still, it sits with me. And yet I'm also really thankful for all of our memories. I'm thankful for all the ways that he helped us find locations in our city to meet in as a church and, and put up pipe and drape everywhere. So it wouldn't be awkward sitting in a 600 seat auditorium uh, with probably 50 people in those days in the first couple of years of our church. And I, and I have those memories. And I, I, I smile when I think about Chris. At the same time, I'm a little sad he's gone. Right? And we all need to process it that way. Because God is in the midst of our grief. Grief can be good. Not just when it's removed, but even in it. Have you grieved your losses? Some of you are in the midst of a loss right now. How are you processing that? Are you processing it 
out loud with God, with God's people, with his word? Are you trying to stuff it, ignore it? Are you missing the healing and the growing and the refining that God wants to do in your life? I'm not going to yell at you about that. If you notice, maybe I haven't yelled very much today. It's a sermon on grief. thought that was appropriate. But man, take some time. We're going to sing a song. It is well with my soul. Take some time even now to grieve and experience God's presence in the midst of your grief. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this experience, this process of grief that's biblical and right and even good. God, I pray that that would free some people today who are navigating some loss that they experienced 20 years ago, two years ago, two weeks ago, the loss of somebody who died, but maybe the loss of somebody who's still alive, that that friendship has been broken and there's nothing but tension and division as they enter into the holiday season. God, I just, I know that's real, not ethereal in this room. And so I just pray for what your scripture says, that you would be near to the brokenhearted, that blessed are those who mourn because you comfort them. And God, I thank you for 2 Corinthians 1.3, that truth, that amazing truth about the community of God in the midst of our grief. God, that you comfort those in the midst of their affliction so that they can comfort other people. And that's what's so beautiful about the church is we can grieve together with hope because we have one another, because we have you, because we have a future that where grief is replaced by glory and we can all look to that and sing confidently. It is well with my soul. Father, help us. We desperately need it. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.